Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hello, Jonathan. How's your week? We had a great week, had a great time up in Midwestern. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, but just a, a good week and uh, been busy, but glad to be back home, but uh, had a great time at Midwestern. Good. Well, we were here in Wake Forest tracking what was going on there, watching on Twitter and uh, catching the live stream a little bit. Uh, sounds like it was some interesting discussion. Yes, it was. Uh, one of the big presentations, There were, I think there were four main key presentations I think I'd walk away with. I mean, they were all good, all seven of them, plus the Q&As. Mm-hmm. But there were four key presentations I think that we're going to be uh, talking about for a while. It was Dr. Floyd's, Dr. Moeller's, Dr. Allen's, Dr. Rayner's. Not in that order. That's just the order they went in. But Dr. Floyd talked about the state of the SBC. Dr. Moeller talked about the state of theology in the church. Dr. Allen talked about the state of theological education. And Dr. Rayner talked about uh, the stats in the SBC. And what was one of the most fascinating uh, presentations, even though I knew some of the stuff in there, I didn't know where all he was going with the thing. Just a fascinating presentation on the history and the future of the SBC and, and a statistical look at it. So uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that at the end, but uh, that's just a little preview there. But uh, had some big news come out of NAM this week. Yeah, yeah, they have uh, introduced kind of a rebranding of sorts. Yeah, they introduced some new branding as well uh, with that, a new tagline and messaging. Every life on mission, every church on mission, the logo itself actually kind of reflects that movement from the pews to to being sent, it says. Yeah, it's kind of, it looks almost like a, a domino effect with the pew starting out straight and then turning into an arrow. And I mean, I think what they're trying to do is they had sort of the, the NAM logo that had been around for a long time. And then they had the send logo that came and it looks like they're trying to just have one sort of visual presence. Yes. Yeah. Try to get everything unified in, in one direction there. So you can check out that new logo. There's a video we'll put online. We'll embed that at SPC this week as well. Kind of talks about the evolution of that. Really well done video. I was really impressed by the video. Yeah, that that was good, and it was a good explanation. Uh, kind of told the story well. All right, uh, moving on. Their one percent CP challenge. Did you know that October is Cooperative Program Emphasis Month in the Southern Baptist Convention? Uh, I do now. I do now as well. So because it was at the top of this, uh, <laughs> this news release. That I'm reading, but a one percent CP challenge has been met by four thousand four hundred and twenty-two churches, almost ten percent of the churches in the SBC. That's great, and uh, I think they're releasing this right at the beginning because if this is Cooperative Program Emphasis Month, it'd be great if they could bump that up, even double that figure. Yeah, it'd be incredible. Uh, the Cooperative Program uh, giving for the year ended. I guess yesterday, we're recording this October 1st, and the September 30th would have been cut off for the budget year. So maybe by next week, we'll have some numbers on that to see if we were up. We were up just over a percent, I think, last month, uh, the last time we talked about that. So CP has been up above giving and up above where it was last year, all year long. And uh, we'll just try to see if we finish that out, hoping that we have. Yep. All right, another uh, little piece of news from the executive committee. This is uh, Baptist Press. Sean Hendricks has been named the Director of Operations. Art Tolston, who has served for editor of Baptist Press for more than 23 years, is going to transition now into a senior editor role and kind of mentor uh, Sean Hendricks as the Director of Operations. Yeah, Sean is a, he's just a great guy. I have loved getting to work with him as all the entities sort of relate to Baptist Press. Uh, And he's got clear, just 
leadership gifts. Uh, so this isn't a surprise at all, I think, to any of us who have worked with him. So it, it looks like basically he's just going to take over kind of, the, as it says, director of operations and handling the, the day-to-day work of running Baptist Press, uh, while Art, who's done this for so long and um, so has done such a, a fine job with that, will continue to do the editing work. So that was good news out of the executive committee in Baptist Press this week. And, and some other news, well, actually, the news has gone to the dogs. <laughs> oh, don't laugh at that. Don't laugh at that. that. That's so, actually, wow. that's the headline here. Evangelicals going to the dogs and cats with a major statement on animal welfare. You know it's a big deal when the Huffington Post picks things up. Uh, they are talking about the Every Living Thing, an evangelical statement on the responsible care for animals, uh, which came yes. out this week. Uh, Barrett Duke from the ERLC was part of a news conference earlier this week uh, outlining this. You can read the entire statement and actually sign on to the statement at everylivingthing.com. We've got links to it at sbcthisweek.com. And Every Living Thing also uh, sponsored some research from Lifeway Research. Tell us about that research, Amy. Yeah, so that research sort of answered the question of how much we actually talk about animal welfare or uh, the, the beliefs that Christians have. And it was interesting. LifeWay Research did this. Uh, 89% agreed uh, among Protestant pastors that Christians have a responsibility to speak out against animal cruelty. But that's not uh, how many have really uh, ad- addressed it. So it says um, that that only, oh, sorry, that's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean that everyone has addressed it uh, to their churches. So 39% say they've never addressed the treatment of animals in a sermon. So even though they know that it's important, they don't talk about it uh, as, as much in the same. Yeah, that, that doesn't really surprise me too much. Um, I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon on animal care. Have you? Um, not that I can remember. It, it may have been mentioned, you know, maybe in a creation story or a, um, or a creation sermon or maybe even a, a Noah sermon possibly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it would have I, been a, it would have been a passing point. It would have been, you know, the keystone of the, the sermon. I actually, when I read this story and I thought about, I would try to remember if my pastor in Waverly, Virginia, which was my husband. I was going to say, yeah, uh, you kind of know him. Yes. So when we were in Waverly, Virginia, that was when uh, not very far from our town at all, uh, Michael Vick. Oh, yeah, 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 was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, was um, arrested for uh, running the kennel over there. It was very, very close to our town. And uh, I think Keith had actually even seen him out one time. And so... Uh, I remember there being a lot of conversation uh, about these types of issues. I don't know that he ever actually addressed it publicly, but I know we all talked about it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I think you're right. I think it's possible that it could have been mentioned with a current event type thing. But, uh, uh, it, it, you know, the, the research really didn't surprise me that so few pastors had, had preached on it. But I, I also didn't surprise me that they agree that we should speak out against animal cruelty. So, you know, that, I kind of agree with what the, the findings came out with. It, it didn't really surprise me, but it was uh, 
was not what I expected earlier in the week to, to be reading about. Yeah, no, it wasn't. I, I, my guess is a lot of a lot of that might be that pastors would think that's a given that they would think their congregations would sort of understand that. That's just a speculation as to why why it does not much time gets spent on it. Um, but very interesting. The statement is interesting. Read it. Uh, look at it. A lot of people have signed it. And yeah, a lot of people have signed it, including uh, Bruce Ashford at your institution. Uh, Dr. Moeller has a signatory on it, a few guys from the ERLC as well. Speaking yes. of the ERLC, they had an event this week at the New Orleans Seminary, a left, right, and center. It was a, a, a forum with Brent Walker, Susie Painter, who is the executive coordinator of the CBF, and Dr. Russell Moore of the ERLC. We're all involved in this. There's a write-up at Baptist News Global about that. You can read more about the entire event. Uh, but, uh, you know, neat of New Orleans to be hosting something, you know, getting different voices, allowing different perspectives, and you know, having students exposed to different beliefs. Yeah, and and this, this issue of religious liberty is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and we have to talk about it, and we have to be willing to talk about it with everyone. Um, so I, I'm with you. I think it was a good thing to have this event. And another seminary, uh, recent news, we kind of missed this last week on the episode because we had uh, David Platt on and we just had a full show, so we got to it this week. But Southwestern has inaugurated their first ever chair of women's studies. Yes, it was the Dorothy Kelly Patterson Chair of Women's Studies, uh, first academic chair uh, of that kind uh, in the, the evangelical world, as they said. Um, so the it was very interesting. Candy Finch was installed in this. So she's been teaching uh, women's studies there for a little while. What this made me think of was about five years ago, I was, uh, I came down to Southeastern and took a class on biblical theology of womanhood that was taught by uh, Dorothy Patterson. So I came down, took that class. It lasted about a week. And she said something very interesting. Uh, she said that at one point she was maybe debating with someone over uh, feminist theology and uh, the, the individual she was debating with, I don't know who said to her, this was in 2007. I think that she told us this story said to her, well, where are all the scholars on your side uh, of this discussion? That's a good and question. She, yeah. And she said that what she told them was give me 10 years. I'm building them. And, uh, and that, that class was a, a very good one. She, she really taught us a lot of stuff. And uh, whenever I saw this, that the first chair of women's studies, that it was Candy Finch. Candy Finch works really hard. She's always presenting papers at ETS. She's going to be back there again. Uh, she engages um, with a lot of scholarly works. And uh, I look at it and say, she, she did it. I thought that was really neat. So congratulations to Dr. Finch. Yeah, Southwestern also has a, a doctoral program in women's studies. So, uh, Dr. Finch, uh, congratulations again on that. And it's good to see uh, women being raised as scholars over at Southwestern. Yes. Now, the big news of the week was the SBC Symposium up at Midwestern. I know you said that you were able to follow it on Twitter. Did you catch any of the live stream? Uh, I did catch some of the live stream. And then also SBC Voices did a great job live blogging it. That's so right. I tracked, Dave Miller was I there. It. Mm-hmm. And he ran out of gas on his way home. Um, oh no, that's horrible! Yeah, it was. Uh, he was on the Kansas Turnpike and just ran out of gas. It was that's pretty horrible. pretty awful. And but it worked out okay. He uh, he was all right. He got some car service or whatever. But yeah, Dave, Good. make sure you gas up next time. Um, <laughs> I hated I hated missing though uh, the uh, 
Dr. Floyd's presentation. Yes, so Dr. Floyd's we, we presentation. Were mm-hmm. We were yes. in chapel at that time, but I was uh, I tried to keep up with it later, and and the live blog really helped. And I'm planning to watch that archive video. Okay, before we get into the the actual components of the symposium, I got to tell you about my first trip to Midwestern. First time I've ever been there. First time I've been to Kansas City. Mm. I was blown away. Midwestern has Dr. Allen has done a phenomenal job there. The grounds, the facilities just impeccable. Uh, the Spurgeon Library is absolutely amazing. Really? Yes. It is probably one of the the shining stars of facilities in the SBC. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it's, wow. it's one of the best facilities you will see probably anywhere in academia, let alone in the SBC. Uh, just the quality of the uh, the detail that they've gone through to put that together, it, it's something that belongs like Smithsonian level. It's just, it blows your mind. Wow. So congratulations, Christian George, Dr. Allen. Uh, Christian George is a curator of the library there, and uh, he is a Spurgeon scholar, and it, it was just uh, amazing. So uh, I was blown away by that, and the facilities at Midwestern, they've done a great job there, the new chapel and everything. So uh, congratulations to Midwestern. Y'all hosted a fine event, and the content of the event matched the venue because uh, we, we got started off on Monday night with Frank Page and Dr. Patterson. Uh, they spoke on the SBC. On Tuesday morning, things really got interesting because Dr. Floyd got up there and followed by Dr. Moeller and then Dr. Dockery and then Dr. Allen and then Dr. Rayner, and there were no holds barred on those presentations because they were they were some of the most fascinating things and some of the most inspiring words uh, that I've heard in a long time when as it relates to the SBC. And it all started with Dr. Floyd's presentation and his six questions that he posed to the SBC. Uh, the six questions that Dr. Floyd gave, I had him send me the, uh, the, the text so I would not mess these up. But uh, number one was, and, and Amy, I'm going to get your thoughts on these because I'd love to hear your thoughts on some of this. When okay. conversing about this subject, he's talking about the um, the SBC and and moving forward in the generations to come. The, is the real question what is best for the entire Southern Baptist Convention and its future together, or is the real question what is best for the advancement of the gospel through our Southern Baptist Convention and its ministries? I pick B. Yeah. So yeah, he's I mean, he's talking to the heart issue. Are we more concerned right. about the SBC, or are we more concerned about the gospel? getting to the nations what's best for right. the advancement of the gospel so he's basically putting the next five questions through that lens is it better for the Perfect. gospel or is it better for the sbc question number yes. two do we exist to preserve our brand structure and systems or we do or do we exist to advance the gospel together regionally statewide nationally and internationally man again i pick b but yeah. that is that is a hard one because we really want to hold on to a don't we Right, and we all will say we pick B, but we look at A and we say, no, I'm not about holding on to structures and systems, except for my part yeah. of the structure and system. Mm-hmm. That that part needs to stay because it's what's important to us. And so it really is a tough thing to say we're all going to show up to the table and put everything on the table. Yeah. It, it kind of goes back to the David Platt, put your blank check on the table and do it as a yeah. denomination. Yeah, to say... I'm gonna I'm gonna lay it all down and be willing to give up whatever uh, for the gospel to go forth because that's what matters most to me. Yeah, and and if that wasn't enough, the next one was a grenade. 
Uh, for the sake of gospel advancement, should the IMB and the North American Mission Board become one mission board, the global mission board of the Southern Baptist Convention? Well, that's the $6 million question. Well, it's probably a lot more million dollars than that, but yes. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's, it's a lot um, because, I mean, just that there are a lot of different things. And, and he, um, he, he suggested there were three things that, that kept us in the past uh, mm-hmm. from, from unifying the, the boards. And the first thing that he mentioned was that the unique roles each mission board has, one, you know, people overseas, another, people here on North America. Number two, the cooperative program dollars. If you combine those two boards, those two boards would have 73.2% of the CP. So basically, they would, they would be the CP. Right. So that, that's, I mean, that's a lot of money. And then you add the, the mission offerings as well. Um, you know, there, there probably would be some overlap in, in people and restructuring if that happened. They probably wouldn't need that. But at the same time, we see how much IMB is trying to, to cut back because of, you know, expenses and, and lack of revenue. So, you know, they would, they would need a lot of money to be that big. And it's, it's a question. It's, it's worth having a discussion. Uh, it means right there and how much of the CP they would get. And then the third reason that he mentioned that it's never really been done is because the timing's never really been right. And who knows when that timing will be. Right, right. Well, it's obviously one of the things that's come up, and the timing certainly has to do with people, leadership, but also the timing is that our eyes are opening to the fact that we no longer have to go to the nations because the nations are coming to us. Now, yes, we do. We do want to go to the Mm -hmm. nations, but that's... It's we don't have to leave the country to yeah. see to to reach people groups because yeah. they're here, and so that sort of blurring of lines is already something that's been dealt with. So I think that's a part of the timing too. So yeah. I don't know. It's a fair question. Well, yeah, and I mean, you talk about the, the 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 nations coming to us. The largest group of Kurds outside of Iraq and Turkey live right here in Nashville. And you've got like the largest group of Somalis in the world outside of Somalia live in Minneapolis. Right. I mean, those are just two small examples of the nations kind of coming to America and being here. And that doesn't even get to the Syrian refugee and all the crisis going on there. Uh, so, and you know, you talk about the timing. We've never had the technology or the, the transportation or communication effectiveness that we have now. So a lot of things there in that one. Um, and, and he didn't stop there. Question number four, do state conventions and associations have a future in Southern Baptist life? That, um, I was ducking at this point. Yeah. But these are, these are tough questions. Tough questions. They are tough questions. I'll say this. If I'm, if I'm pushed to, uh, to answer the question, I would say that they do, um, particularly in cooperation of small churches Mm -hmm. uh, in uh, in areas and then also in uh, the resources that small churches need. So I do think there is a place. I think we are at a time though, and we obviously see this where we have to say, but what is the place? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the question I think that has to be asked. Is yep. there a place? I say, yes, there yeah. is. And he did too. But. He said, he said they can have relevance and they do have relevance when these four things occur. One, clarify the mission Two, simplify responsibilities Three, be agile in their response to churches. And four, sustain their work financially. Well, I'm glad I answered that then since I hadn't watched his talk. I, I'm glad I picked the one that he said. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, he's not going to get up there and say no. I mean, I, I, that would right. be, you don't, you, that's not going to happen. And, yeah. uh, and and I agree with him. If those four things happen, then yeah. Then there's a, yep. Because that, that makes them 
there for a purpose, for a reason, and clarifies that reason, finances that reason. You know, it just, it works. So right. just uh, those are four really great points. Number five is uh, how will we finance our work together in the future in the most effective way? Kind of talking about the CP, the structure, the how that works. Um, you know, it's been 90 years since the cooperative program was started. You know, it's been 90 years. We're 10 years away from the 100th anniversary. What does that look like, uh, you know, going forward and how we finance things? Final question he listed was, is there anything new we need to create for today and for the future that will help churches in their mission of going, baptizing, and making disciples of all nations? Mm. I love this question because it wasn't just what do we need to fix or what do we need to eliminate? It's what about something else that we may not have even thought of yet that we need to add? So, uh, you know, this right. this forward-looking view that he's he's leading us to right there, just phenomenal question right there because everybody talks about, well, we need to fix this or we need to eliminate this or something like that. And he's saying, hey, well, maybe there's something we hadn't even thought about yet. You know, what yeah. about that? Well, I love that he's willing to ask these questions. And, oh, yes, hands down, and phenomenal. Honest, yeah, and honestly, you know, you point to the event the event was a good thing uh, to to make space for that. I mean, a symposium is a really good place yeah. to uh, to start bringing up a lot of those questions because that's what symposiums are for. Mm-hmm. So I would have loved to have a and A time after that one, but you know, we, we had some Q and A later with him, and he talked and uh, and expounded on some of that. So it was just phenomenal. I I thought it was one of the most fascinating uh, presentations I've seen in a long time. Because, like you said, he asked the questions that a lot of us are asking, you know, to one another, but nobody's ever really gotten up there and said it and and put it out there for the masses to really consider. So, you know, my hat's off to Dr. Floyd for for getting up there and and posing these questions and posing them in a way that's not accusatory, that it's cooperative, and that it's forward-looking, you know, forward-focused and in, 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 in the way they're worded, the way they're asked, and the way that I would hope we would respond to them. Well, I, I love it. Uh, I'm sorry that I missed it uh, and, and missed getting to, to watch it at the time. I do want to point out, side note, I was, uh, at the time I was watching a fantastic faculty lecture by Bruce Ashford on cultural engagement. So I recommend that to people to go back and watch that. Okay. So um, check that but, out at the Southeastern website after yeah, you get done with the, yeah. the symposium stuff at the Midwestern site. So, but yes. again, I, I, you know, I could talk about uh, Dr. Moeller's talk on the theological uh, issues that we're facing in the world today. He gave a great history of the, the reformation moved all the way forward to today and, and just the theological issues and, and where we're headed if we make the wrong choices, where we're headed if we make the right choices. Um, and then Dr. Dockery got up there and gave a Baptist history, you know, what, who are Southern Baptists, where they came from, what are they now, where they're headed in the future. Just a, a fascinating lecture from Dr. Dockery, who's the president at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in uh, Deerfield, Illinois, uh, formerly of Union University. Uh, was the president there before Dubba Oliver. Uh, and then next was Dr. Allen, and he talked about theological education. And you, Amy, as a seminary employee, I would highly recommend uh, seeing that one as well. Yeah, I did get to hear some of that live. Okay, because so. you were catching the live stream that afternoon. Okay, Right, right. Yeah, so his his lecture was fantastic on the, his, the future of theological education. Uh, and then Dr. Rayner closed things out after some breakout sessions. Uh, with a statistical look at the SBC and brought up some stats that everybody in the room, I don't think had, had heard of before, even what he called the silent era, 
which between 1920 and 1949, we actually declined in the total number of churches in the SBC, while our membership and our enrollment doubled. That's crazy. So, which I is almost I don't know why. That kind of the, that's I mean now we're our number of churches goes up, is going up. Yeah, and the membership's declining. Yeah, yeah, or kind of flat. But but there was a slight yeah. decline for yeah. thirty years. We didn't add churches. And then in 1950, boom, took off again. So uh, he posed a, a couple of theories as why, but uh, Dr. Moeller had, had mentioned afterwards, he just had so many questions about that, Dr. Allen as well. So and I've still got questions, and I helped, you know, kind of put some of that stuff together for Dr. Rainer. so yeah. I helped him with some of that research. And, you know, we're still trying to figure out why that silent era occurred. So hmm. um, if you're a Baptist history nerd or want to get a PhD in Baptist history, i got a topic for you. So Yes. There you go. But speaking of Baptist history, this week in SBC history, Amy blew our minds. Well, I went digging around. I was trying to find something just unbelievable. And I actually just found what I thought was a fascinating little story. Um, yeah. It, and it actually was something that had started in the month of August, uh, but it was being dealt with this week in SBC history by the Foreign Mission Board. So in 1912, um, there had been a letter uh, that was received uh, from Lottie Moon in China to uh, Robert Josiah Willingham, who was at that time the, um, I believe they called him the, the corresponding secretary. Uh, so he was kind of the, the head guy. She would write to him. She had written to him in August that uh, she was very concerned because she's in China and foreign mission board workers were coming over to China and they were smoking cigarettes and it was causing um, all, all kinds of, uh, of problems, I think. Because, With the Chinese, because they weren't used to that? Well, they were, ve they were very much against it. Oh, okay. Um, which was interesting. And they had, uh, she said she had had it in mind to, to write them for some time and uh, that, she had this issue that there was um, one of the leaders over there, one of the Chinese uh, leaders in the church was the head of an anti-cigarette society. Oh, wow. And they had this huge conviction about it. And so the fact that, that a Christian teacher that was sent out by a mission board um, would do it, it was m like messing everything up. It was hurting their witness. And so the, the, um, this teacher, I guess it was a teacher that, that was doing this was, uh, was saying it was wrong. And then these pastors, these missionaries were coming and they were smoking. So she had to write the foreign mission board. So in, um, at the beginning of October, he, uh, came, he, he wrote her back and said, um, I hear it. Your letter is well received. And this as he, he said, it certainly looks bad for the Chinese to be more careful, um, for them to be more careful about it than our own people that they're right. Uh, we're wrong, and so I'm going to refer to the committee. And uh, so they did it this, you know, it just a little over 100 years ago. Um, and they met together, and then he wrote her just a couple of days later and said, um, we met, and we're going to take care of this. Uh, we're going to publish your letter, and this will not happen again. And so that uh, it, it just was kind of an interesting little thing. I was looking to see if there was some huge bombshell, anything uh, just 
fascinating, crazy that happened. And it was just kind of this little story, but just watching the interaction. And uh, she, she wrote a lot of letters to him about things that were going on and just watching the interaction, the respect that he gave her. And uh, I think they kind of just took care of this little issue, but I thought it was very fascinating. It all happened this week in SBC history. Well, that's fascinating. And it, it really is because I, I'm guessing that a lot of the missionaries at that time are probably from the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because, I mean, that's kind of where Lottie Moon was from. That's where the SBC was founded. All right. those areas Virginia, over there, other Virginia places. Yeah. and Carolinas. Yeah. So I'm guessing that, you know, Carolinas, you think cotton, I mean, you think tobacco, sorry. Right. With Carolinas, right. you think tobacco farms. And mm-hmm. I, I, it does not surprise me that we would be sending missionaries who were just thought smoking was just fine and had no issues with it because that's what they grew up on. That's what they did. And this was in 1912. And yeah. I mean, tobacco farming is in my background. My grandfather was a tobacco farmer in 1912. His father, I think, probably would have been, he was one of the main tobacco farmers in Tennessee. So it was a part of the culture. Um, and uh, so this is just interesting seeing the cross-cultural um, effect that that was having. And you took care of it. Well, fascinating. Thanks for digging that up for us, Amy. All right, moving on to resources of the week. My resource of the week is the ERLC Global Hunger Relief Bulletin Insert for Global Hunger Relief Sunday next week, October 11th. Okay. I had to remember a lot of that. So Global Hunger Sunday is next week, October the 11th. We had uh, Jill Wagner on earlier this year to talk about Global Hunger. We've got a link to the resources that you can print out, put in your bulletins next week to talk about Global Hunger and how your church can help end Global Hunger. You can find out more at globalhungerrelief.com. So that's my resource. Amy, what's yours? Uh, well, my resource is uh, the actually the place that I go digging a lot. I have two places that I go. I go to the Southern Baptist Historical Library and Archives. And then I also go, uh, the IMB has a historical archive and they have so much that is digitized and you can just get lost in a rabbit hole of Baptist press releases, um, of foreign mission board newsletters, uh, things like that. And it is fascinating. Some of the the things that you can see. So I'm going to share the links from those. Okay. So those two places, the, the IMB historical archives and the Southern Baptist historical library and archives, which is uh, located right across the street from my office. I've gone over there a few times looking for some stuff. Yeah, I've never actually been in there. I've only used the digital resources. Well, and here's the fascinating thing, too, about that. They have grants that they will pay you to come and do research if you're doing you know, historical Baptist theology research for academic purposes. So if you're a Ph.D. student or a, a seminary student and you're doing something on Baptists, you can fill out a grant application and they will pay you know, two, three, four, five hundred dollars $500, whatever it may be, for that and pay you to do the research uh, through their stuff. That's pretty neat. I know uh, Nathan Finn goes over there a lot uh, and, and does things. We knew that, but I didn't know that pretty much anybody can do that if they are studying Baptist history. Yep. And uh, I mean, you don't have to be a Baptist history student to go check out the library and the archives, but, um, but if you are, then, you know, fill mm-hmm. out the grant. Maybe they'll pay you to do it. Well, even if you're not in Nashville, there's a treasure trove yes. of digital resources. They've done a fantastic job putting that up, so yes. it's a lot of fun. I, I use the uh, the annual report archive that they've got there. They've got all mm-hmm. the annual reports archived digitally. Uh, you can go back. I've got all the hard copies in my office, 
but sometimes it's a little easier to search things whenever it's digitized. So Yes, yes, it is. It's a little easier to fly through a PDF than it is to pull a book off the shelf, look, 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 put it back on the shelf, look, 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 look. So, uh, yes. yeah, PDFs are fun, a lot easier than hardbacks when it comes to searching stuff like that. So, well, I think that's going to do it for us this week on SBC This Week. Thank you, Amy, for being with us. We'll do it again next week. Sounds good. See you then.